You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, literally wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, here with you all on this Wednesday, a... Rough day if you are a Pelicans fan, and we are going to spend a lot of time talking about the loss to the Timberwolves and some of the coaching stuff. And I hate talking about coaching on here, but we definitely need to in this one. Then I'm bringing on Nick Angstad of Locked On Mavs to preview the game tonight. Second night of a back-to-back. By the way, breaking news, Zion is playing, so that's exciting. So we don't need to waste a lot of time here in the intro. Let's dive into it in today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. Okay, let's do this. I'm not going to go full on angry cast here, though. The second segment, we'll see how this goes. We're going to kind of play it by ear and how I'm feeling in the moment when we're recording this. Because this, there's no other way to put it, a 139-134 loss to the Timberwolves for the Pelicans at home when they have a rough stretch of schedule coming up and basically needed to get this win. And now all of a sudden, they are not nearly as in competition for the eighth spot as they were just a couple of days ago. This is disappointing and the worst loss of the regular season. The Pelicans, other than J.J. Redick, are basically fully healthy, and they went out and laid a complete egg defensively. The Timberwolves did whatever they wanted. New Orleans looked good in the first quarter, going out, scoring, and winning that one, but it started to fall apart in the second when they allowed Minnesota Minnesota score 44 points, and then in the fourth quarter, just outclassed in basically every phase of the game. Let's skip the rest of the game. Going to the fourth quarter, the Timberwolves, tired of Zion beating them up inside, and Zion was doing a lot of work. He had 25 points on the night, eight rebounds on 10 of 19 shooting. Got sick of him doing damage inside and went with a 2-3 zone designed to take away the de- the interior defense and prevent penetration and scoring at the basket. And it worked. And the Pelicans tried to shoot out of the zone. And the best way you can break a zone defense is by making your threes. The Pelicans were not able to do that in the fourth quarter in particular when they shot just two of 11 from three. It was Lonzo Ball who made both of those. So unable to break the um, zone that way, this team just crumbled offensively and really struggled to get many points. When they got opportunities to run in transition, they were able to score. When they got second chance points on putbacks and off an offensive rebound like something Josh Hart did, they got points, but they weren't able to get inside. Zion tried and the zone swarmed him every single time. And the Pelicans found themselves using Almost all 24 seconds during a number of those possessions, just trying to work the ball inside, but being denied every opportunity, which meant that they realized they couldn't do it and started to go into shooting threes mode, which, yeah, them in the clutch, you're not going to hit shots because that's kind of what they've done all season long. Alvin Gentry said after the game that the Timberwolves kind of uh, wooed them, seduced them into playing a certain way. It wasn't that they were wooed or seduced. It was just the defense was better than the Pelicans offense. And so the Pelicans were trying to do what they can to try and break that, which is shoot threes. They weren't able to. 
They weren't wooed into that. It wasn't like a siren song here. It was just their defense was better than your offense, and your offense was not prepared for how to handle that zone defense. Now, you probably don't spend a lot of time, you know, practicing and planning for a zone defense because you don't see teams nearly run it um, to that degree that the Timberwolves did in this game. But it was bad. The Pelicans' offense really fell apart in that fourth quarter. Zion Williamson got some points, but it was more early on. He had six total. Um, and Drew Holiday managed to score a little bit when he was able to find some room in transition and run and score. But for the most part, they weren't able to drive. And the Timberwolves' defense just gave the rest of the teams around the league a blueprint for at least a short period of time in spurts maybe on how to beat the Pelicans. So their offense couldn't score. But maybe if they can play some defense, they can kind of knuckle down and hold the Timberwolves and keep this close. And that was also not really the case. The Timberwolves did whatever they wanted on offense. They had 72 points in the paint. That's more than the Pelicans did. And the Pelicans have Zion Williamson down low. That is atrocious. You saw them just running the mid pick and roll up at the three-point line, middle pick and rolls high up there, and getting whatever they wanted. The Pelicans couldn't fight through the screens. They didn't communicate on when to have switches, and they were an absolute utter mess defensively in this game. Letting the Timberwolves get whatever shot they wanted. You We'll wait for the data to come out on it. We can see some of the player tracking stuff, but my God, so many times that one guy thought they were switching, the other guy didn't, and it leaves D'Angelo Russell wide open for an easy mid-range jumper that he had, or for an open three. Or even one time, just no one picked him up going down the court. Or no one realized that after a defensive rebound, they also wanted to get out and run a little bit, and a guy was leaking, and no one got back to try and contest it. Just unbelievable, stupid Dumb play. That's the only way to put it. The team was just not up for this one. And despite all of that, it was close. Meaning that if they did, you know, kind of prepare a little bit better, and I'm not saying you should uh, or needed to, could have won this game. This team came out so flat, it looked like they thought they could just fall backwards into a win against a Timberwolves team that is miserable this year. They have not been good whatsoever. And again, it was the Pelicans, you know, doing and making them look very good. It's unbelievably disappointed um, that this is the way this one went when you're in playoff contention. The Timberwolves have now won three times since January 11th. This team should not feel good about being the third win. So bad, so disappointing. You've got to be awake to start the game. And Alvin Gentry said something after the game that kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. And we'll talk about this more in the second half uh, or in the next segment of the show. So let's hit a break here. We'll do a reset and we'll come back with that. So despite the dent to the Pelicans' playoff chances, it is still a very, very fun season. You want to know everything that's going on. Again, Zion put up another 25-point game. He is looking to get the longest streak of that as a rookie, and he is probably going to get it given the way he's gone so far, and there's still meaningful games to be played. So subscribe to Locked On Pelicans wherever you get your podcast from. The only podcast here Monday through Friday for you all breaking down everything you want to know about this team in what is a very fun season. Season. Leave a five-star review with a comment if you get a chance. It takes like 30 seconds. Helps keep this free in five days a week for you all. And of course, subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Oh, and tell a friend too. 
So the part a bunch of you are really going to hope I go into, and I'm going to, and we are going to talk about gentry. And I'm going to preface this by saying I, I really dislike talking about coaching on some of this stuff, mainly because it's tough and there's no kind of right or wrong way to go about it. And without being in the locker room and being around the team 24-7 to see exactly what's going on, it can be tough because we don't have a complete picture. But no one needs a complete picture to decide they have a hot take about how things are going with a team, so that's not going to necessarily stop me to do it. And I'm not going to have a hot take here. Like I'm not going to call for Alvin Gentry to be fired. I'm about to criticize him heavily, but I don't actually think he should be fired, or at least not right now, maybe this offseason. But I think you've got to only do it if you've got the right guy as the replacement, not necessarily just a marginal upgrade. I don't think that actually would help this team really much. So he said something and Scott Kushner's got the quote after the game. And I, I don't like this. He said that the team is smart. Gentry said the team is smart enough to know what happened. He doesn't need to scream and shout at them. They all know they let quote a golden opportunity slip away End quote. This bugs me so much. Not a coach, Gentry, you know, if I were all of a sudden promoted to head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans, I would do worse than Gentry is. I know a lot of you think I wouldn't, but I, I promise you, um, I don't think I would be a better coach. And I, I know for a fact I wouldn't. None of us would be. Okay, simple as that. Despite his record, despite everything else, and despite you guys hating him, none of us would be a better head coach than Alvin Gentry is in the NBA. And that's okay. Doesn't necessarily make him good. Just means we'd be that bad. So... A coach's job is to put his players in the best position to succeed. And I think when you watched this game last night, he definitely didn't do that. He didn't put the players and this team in position to strongly get a win. They could have, and it would have been fine, and we were hoping they would have. But when you saw them playing in that fourth quarter, you didn't think this team was going to win. I didn't think this team was going to win with the way they were playing. They looked bad. offensively they could not break a zone part of that's going cold from shooting but part of it is maybe they need to figure out how to attack that zone a little bit better and that's on the coach to help them figure that out in the moment or prepare them for that before and this isn't to say that he didn't do that too maybe it was the players weren't listening to him or they it wasn't getting through to them or they weren't able to understand because of low basketball iq or what have you that's the thing we don't actually know what went on because we're not there in the huddles we're not there on the benches they're all talking and trying to work through things in mid-game and that's why i said this can be a little bit tricky to try and discuss at times but out there seeing that and hearing him say well i don't need to yell at these guys maybe you do if You guys are getting beat defensively. If you're getting beat offensively, instead of just being quiet and not getting in your players' faces and getting them fired up and motivating them more, you should. Clearly, you didn't take that approach and it led to a loss. So maybe do the different thing in the moment and see if that sparks something. Maybe it doesn't work too and it's just an off night, but at least you've got to try. And by kind of admitting that he didn't do that, which probably wasn't his intent and probably isn't the true meaning of the quote necessarily, I don't like that. That's the thing. If your team comes out lackadaisically in multiple games, and they did this against the Warriors too, we've seen it other times in the regular season, it is your job to fire them up and to get them going. And maybe that does mean yelling. There's times when he said he's had to yell at them at halftime to wake their asses up. If that's worked in the past, why not try it in this game? And he didn't because you saw how this team was playing. This is unbelievably disappointed. Hell, we didn't even talk about any of the stats or anything from this game because you didn't need to. It was that bad. So to see the head coach, I don't know if it, like the lack of self-awareness with that quote is kind of surprising to me. It just comes off as like, these guys should be better than they are. I don't need to work that hard to get them there. 
And again, that's not the intention of reading a little too much into it, but it's disappointing to hear that from the guy who's supposed to get this team going. I don't think he should be fired. I'm not going to go that far, but he's got to do a better job than he did in this game. The rotations were a question too. Mixing, you know, again, if you have the same thing and it's not working over and over and over again, try something different. And if it doesn't fail, you're still in the same boat that you were in before. Now, the Pelicans could have gotten the game, but they didn't, which meant he needed to do a better job. He needed to motivate these guys a little bit more. You know, you can say it's on the players for coming out flat, but when they did this last week, a week and a half ago, maybe it's on the coach too for not realizing that this is a prime letdown game and making sure that doesn't happen. How many times have you heard of coaches in football, which is not the same thing, and I don't know if you can equate it to this, come in with some sort of gimmick for a rivalry game or the week after a big rivalry win to keep from having a letdown game occur? You knew they were going to kind of walk into this one thinking they could easily just roll to a win. This happens with this team. And they shouldn't have let that occur. And Gentry and the staff shouldn't have let that occur. And they did. And by saying I'm not going to yell at these guys or I shouldn't need to yell at these guys, clearly with the way they played, you should need to yell at these guys. It's kind of that simple when I look at this. Your job is to motivate them. That is what a coach does. Your job is to teach them professionalism. That is a coach's job. Some of it's on the players too, but at a certain point, if guys have to grow into becoming a professional, how'd they ever get there in the first place unless a coach helped them along the way? So that comment and sort of the in-game stuff and that attitude really bugged me about this loss that it's not just the players, it's also really on the coaching staff in this one. It wasn't good from my opinion, a motivational aspect, though again, it's tricky to try and discuss this given we're not in there. You can't hear all the conversation. Maybe he tried all this, but he also gave us comments saying he really didn't. That bugs me. Don't like it. Bad game from Gentry. Bad game from the team overall. And this one hurts their playoff chances. That is for sure. So I'm going to bring Nick Angst out of Locked On Mavzong because I want to discuss this upcoming game with him tonight. Second night of a back-to-back and Zion is playing. That is very, very cool and um, good to hear, which also means his rehab and everything and the injury has to be recovering well and be perfectly fine. They wouldn't throw him out there. The medical staff wouldn't throw him out there if he wasn't going to be in position to succeed or healthy or fine for that. They haven't said anything about a minutes restriction. They will kind of just feel it out like they've been doing. If he gets tired, they pull him. If he's fine, he will stay in there. Kind of all the usual stuff that we kind of expect. So it seems to be a little bit business as usual, but maybe expect shorter stints for Zion, given that he could be tired from playing um, the game before. So uh, we'll touch on that coming up here with Nick, but don't forget, subscribe to Lockdown NBA because there are a lot of stories out there right now going on around the league that you want to be caught up on. It is a fun end to the season, and I cannot wait for the playoffs and all that's going to come. I co-host the Wednesday show. Nick subs in a lot, and I appreciate that, and he's really good over at Lockdown Mavs where they have a lot of fun. So coming up next, we will have him on Lockdown Pelicans to preview the game. Joining me now on Locked On Pelicans, I've got Nick Angstad, host of Locked On Mavericks, and also fills in from time to time on the Locked On NBA podcast. We have a lot of fun when we when you come on. We get to just be silly on there, don't we? <laughs> yes, we uh, we run lots of bits. We do uh, jokes back and forth. We uh, have teams that have young players that are fun, and we have a bright future. And so it's just fun to just you know crap on other teams. Yeah, exactly. Particularly like the Knicks, which I think we've done done a whole just, lot before. They're dead already, right? Like they're they're dead. The whole thing going on now with them is just like, what are you guys doing? I don't even know. Good luck, Leon Rose, this- on your first day on the job. 
I have this new running joke on Twitter that anytime something with the Knicks happens, I just quote tweet it and say, I don't know how these things keep happening to the Knicks, but this is a thing. That's it, just, I'm just going to keep, I'm just say that every time. Every single, yeah, it's like a running bit. I like it. That's really good. Um, so yeah. And so also, can you please tell people what you did for Luca's birthday the other day? Because that was excellent. All right. So everyone go to locked on Mavericks. You don't have to subscribe to it and get all our shows, but you do have to go and look at the the one from, uh, that says living Luca's 21st birthday. It's from Saturday. So it's from, uh, yeah. So this past Saturday, this weekend, we did a post game pod after the Mavericks lost the heat. It was Luca's 21st birthday and they all went to club live, which is a club in Miami where the Mavericks went after the championship. That story about, uh, Cuban with like the hundred thousand dollar bottle of like champagne or whatever that was from there. And so we, <laughs> we recorded from there. We, we weren't really there but. not really though <laughs> but so go listen to that it's pretty funny and we got a bunch of people a bunch of lockdown Mavs listeners really thought that we were there so that was fun the the magic of, of editing here uh, <laughs> so <laughs> you, you know if you're if you're making an episode about luca's birthday party and how you're there this is clearly the focal point of the team and the reason i wanted to bring you on the show today is because these are two teams that have a bunch of young talent and are in like good position to be set up for the future. So this is probably a team that Pelicans fans need to know a little bit more about. So Luca's really good. What's he do other than like everything awesome? Luca does so many things, obviously. And you've, you've like seen a bunch of highlights ever here. <laughs> you've you've seen the highlights. You see, but you mostly just see the step back. And even Mavericks fans. The other night when they lost the Bulls, people were all upset and, you know, like Lucas shoots too many threes and he was one of eight from three. And one guy was like, Luca only shoots 32% from three. That's the main thing he does. Why is he so bad at it? He has to get better at it. But the thing about Luca is that's not his thing, right? That's not the main thing he does. That's what you see a lot. You see the half court shot at the rising stars game. You see the step back threes, you see all that stuff. But what Luca does better than anybody is he's shooting 70% in the restricted zone. And he's shooting better than Rudy Gobert. He's shooting better than Giannis. And it's day by day. So, you know, it could change. Yeah. It's very, very small increments. But he's shooting that well. Like, as good as Zion, as good as Rudy Gobert. And Rudy Gobert doesn't take, like, floaters and things. He's the guy that, does, you know, kind of dunks in there. And he's seven feet. And so is Giannis. Luka is so good in that area. He's so good off of a pick and roll. If you get a screen and Luka just knows and has this ability to know where his defender is at all times around him. He just has such control over his game. That's the word I keep using about this season ever since the beginning. He just has so much more control over the game this year than he has last year. And when he has the ball in his hands and when he gets a screen set for him, it's just kind of over. He just has so many tools. He can score on all three levels. He can, you know, get you caught on his hip. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, throwing the ball up for an end one. I mean, it's just, it's kind of over for defenders. Yeah, it, it, like you said, he's just kind of masterful at pulling the strings a little bit here and just in complete command of the offense. Um, what about Kristaps Porzingis, who's the other guy working his way back from injury? But uh, and we're, you're expecting him to play in this game? Out, everyone's like good to go. I think so. They've been kind of doing a you know you sit then you sit with Luca and Porzingis. They've been, you know when they have back to backs like they just had a back to back with the the Timberwolves and then with the Bulls and Luca sat the first one and Porzingis sat the second one. Uh, they don't really have any real injuries. Luca had an injury with his thumb where he couldn't hold the ball, like palm the ball. And it was really bothering him in the heat game. And then in the Bulls game. So uh, that's an ongoing thing, but I think they're both going to play. This is kind of one of those, you know, it's a national TV game. 
And uh, it's, you know, the Pelicans, the first game against Zion. So I kind of wonder if Carlisle just wants to see what this team is going to look like against them. That makes sense. And it's kind of a game you, you get up for a little bit because um, it's kind of exciting. So, and I bet Luca would want to play against Zion too. Uh, he, he just kind of is like that. He wants to play against some of these guys. And um, yeah, yeah, but Chris good quality. Gets, yes. Well, he gets up for games like that. And, you know, the very first game he played against LeBron, he was timid and it just looked so weird. But ever since then, he's really gotten up for games like that. So that no, it, like in LeBron got up for Zion. It seems like everyone's like, oh, we don't want to let this dude kind of like run all over us or like want to stick it to him a little bit. But I, so you and I talked about this on Locked on Mavs, which we just recorded before this. And you're you're pretty intrigued by Zion defending Porzingis in this one. I just think that the juxtaposition of Porzingis standing next to Zion is going to look <laughs> so weird. Uh, and he's a guy that has the ability uh, you know, to p- potentially get to Porzingis's jump shot and block it, which not many humans in the world can say. Uh, there's a sports science from a while ago, back when he was with the Knicks, obviously. Um, and uh, what's the guy, John Brinquist? Yeah. Uh, he he had to stand on all these boxes, and he had to stand like he had to stand on like 12 one foot boxes to be able to block his shot without jumping. It was just incredible to see how far he had to go. And then they put him in a harness to see how high they had to get to block a jump shot. It was wild just to see. So go look up that on YouTube. It's somewhere. But Chris Porzingis, his game has really, really kind of revved up as the season went on. And it makes sense because this time last year, he was traded to the Mavs and he was available to play. It was the first time he was actually available to play was around this time. And so Mm -hmm. it's been about a year, which is what a lot of guys say about returning from an ACL is that it takes a full year to recover. After even you're, you're cleared to play, it still takes a full year to be back to where you know you're yourself again. And Porzingis is back. He was just player of the week. He's really rounded into form. His three-point shot has come around. Uh, that was pretty solid the whole season. The thing that's really changed for Porzingis is the mid-range. He was shooting like 30%, 20% from like eight feet to inside the three-point line. And from the last, you know, since he's been going on this tear for the last 10 or 15 games or so, he's shooting like 60%. In that area, the Mavericks have just kind of found out where he wants to get the ball, how to set him up, how to get him on mismatches. Like when Lucas sets a screen and teams switch and Porzingis all of a sudden has a shorter guy on him, they're not going to post up. They do it. They do it every once in a while. But Carlisle had a classic quote. That, yeah, he loves uh, post up. Right? <laughs> the post up is not a good play. But what they do get is Porzingis matched up against these smaller guys. He just turns around and shoots a jumper over him. And he's been really good at drawing fouls on guys like that, too. Um, where they just jump into him and he gets the foul and hopefully gets the bucket. But that's the thing for Porzingis is that mid-range game. You know, the lobs will be there. Around the rim is kind of going to be there. The three-point shot's always going to be there. But if he gets that mid-range going and he can start hitting some buckets like that, then he's, then the league has a real problem. Yeah, so look, and it, they've been a terror all season long too. They what the the Mavs have the best offense in the league. At times they have like a historic offense in the league. Is it just it's Luca and Kristaps being that good, or are there are other guys that are contributing to that that are kind of like key players? Yeah, I think they still it's it's like 116 points per 100 possessions. That that was the highest all time. <laughs> yeah, I think like it's they, still they're like up that, there, which is wild to think about. Um, but the Mavericks like watching them you think man they just have so much potential and they can be doing so much more and then you'll look and they have 70 points in the half right they just they can they shoot a ton of threes the second most in the nba i think they hit the fourth most um, percentage wise and they, they shoot they bomb from three they can go on these runs the mavericks are almost never out of a game they can just go on a 12-0 run 
uh, and get a couple stops here and there. And then Luca can, you know, go on a little run himself or Seth Curry will get hot or Tim Hardaway Jr. Who's been awesome this year. will get hot. Porzingis will hit a couple buckets and they just have guys all over the court that can make plays. And uh, Luca kind of runs the show and he's been doing an incredible job doing it. So, uh, that's the thing you really have to watch out with the Mavs is even if you're up 20, the Mavericks can just come back on you. Yeah, and uh, look, like three-point shooting at times is kind of like the great equalizer on yeah. certain things. And it's like if you're bombing from deep, and the Pelicans have been okay with that. They're not great at running out on guys so that and closing out, so that can potentially be an issue. And so how has their defense looked so far this year? It's been about league average the whole year. That's the thing that really hurts them. It hurt them in, against the Bulls the other night. They allow you know players to get around them they just they don't fight through screens all the time it's uh it's been pretty frustrating <laughs> to watch <laughs> but when Porzingis is in and they have everybody healthy they're they're a pretty decent team as far as you know rim protection they just funnel stuff to Porzingis he gets a lot of blocks um and so they can they can kind of do that Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba have been have been great defenders without them uh the Mavericks would be a terrible defensive team <laughs> but with Dorian Finney-Smith with Maxi with you know, Porzingis, they're able to be um, around league average. I think they, they fluctuated between like 14 and 19th in defensive rating in the league this year. Uh, Porzingis, the one thing he really struggles with, though, is defending in the post. He just gets absolutely killed by like the Anthony Davises of the world. Look, so, that's like what Zion uh, loves Pelican, to do right now. <laughs> I was going to say, it's good that the Pelicans don't have anybody that can really kill it in the paint. It's like a historically good player inside the, the paint right now. It's good they don't have anybody like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, no, no one like that. Like Dwight Howard flew <laughs> off of him after like running into him. And Dwight Howard is just like made of muscle. So for him to just bounce off Zion, I, <laughs> yeah, Porzingis I, might go flying a little bit. I love the Nicola Melli, uh, <laughs> Dwight Howard feud from the other night. That, that was, was great. Great. Just like the crafty Italian getting oh, under that dude's so skin. Weird. Yeah. I, I don't know what caused that, but Melly Melly got in his head a little bit. That was pretty funny to see. Um, so you feel pretty good about the Mavs future, huh? Oh yeah. I have been working on this piece for uh, central track, a website I write for, and I think they have the best, they have the best young duo in the league. I think you can put them up against anybody, even Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, even the, the Celtics guys. Like, I just think they have the best duo because they can work together. They have so much more potential. And Luka's already an MVP candidate. Like, that's just, I mean, that's an incredible place to be starting from, right? This is the first yeah. year that they've played together. Pelicans can kind of say the same thing right now with their duo. Yeah, look, I, I mean, Ingram has been awesome this year. Zion in the first now, what, 16 games of his career has been pretty ridiculous. So I think, like, I don't think it, – it's probably one of those things where neither team would trade for the other guys, I would assume. Yeah, you just already established, you know, Luka is the Mavericks guy. There's so much cachet there already with, with the city of Dallas, and they know that that's their guy. Like, maybe – no. See, I don't I, – yeah, I don't even think the Mavericks would trade for Zion even because – Zion's probably a little more popular here, but the, you know, the international audience, the fact that yeah. you went from Dirk Nowitzki to, to Luca, who's like the best international players, like that they, you know, exchange oh, for yeah. each other is, is pretty wild to think about as far as uh, a culture, as far as, um, you know, an identity for a team and the Mavericks have that now, which is just wild. Yeah. Well, it's, it, so this is going to be a fun game. So the Pels are Oh, two so far against the Mavs. And that was before Zion returned before this team started playing well. So this is kind of like the real test to see kind of where the Pelicans are, where this Dallas team and how this Dallas team matches up against them, because this is a division rival. Like 
we're probably going to be doing a lot of these over the next couple of seasons because I don't think either of these teams is necessarily going to all of a sudden kind of fade away with all of the young talent that they have. So I don't know. Maybe we get like a rivalry going here. I'm excited about that. And we were saying on Locked on Mavs that uh, like the Mavericks have Mavericks fans have these rivalries with the Knicks, obviously, with the the uh, uh, the Hawks fans because yep. of the Trey Young Luca trade. They have this rivalry with Kings fans because Mavs fans always you know clown them about drafting Marvin Bagley and stuff like that. But <laughs> Pelicans and Mavs thanks. fans really haven't overlapped that much so far. So hopefully we can keep it cordial and just be some fun back and forth. But uh, yeah, that hopefully will develop into a good rivalry. Yeah, it, it's going to be a fun game tonight, so I'm excited for it. Um, Nick, let everyone know where they can find you on Twitter and anywhere else. Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at Nick Van Exit after the great Nick Van Exel, who has me blocked on Twitter still. Um, <laughs> you can also follow the Locked On Maps podcast at Locked On Maps, and also I run the Locked On NBA social accounts. So go follow Locked On NBA Net on Twitter, on Instagram, and then Locked On NBA podcast on facebook we really appreciate you guys doing that go uh weigh in on some of the polls that we've made uh the pelicans recently were the most fun team voted on by the locked on nba hosts so that was pretty cool go check that out yeah i voted for the pelts too in that one um (laughs) (laughs) i voted for the Mavs, surprisingly (laughs) yeah shocking but i like that that was a cool one to see so nick thanks for taking the time today absolutely All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. A little bit longer as we go a little bit more into the Mavericks as a whole and spend some time talking about the coaching. So enjoy the game tonight. Zion is playing. Hopefully we get a good performance and a win from him. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at NOLAJake on Twitter. We'll be back with you all tomorrow.